earlier this morning about Jesus when he was 12 years old. And the children helped to act that, that out for us. I think there, I know, there are a few people in this room who are 12 years old. Would you raise your hand if you are 12 years old? All right, so there's a couple of people who are 12 years old. If there was someone near you who you notice is 12, maybe you want to ask them. Introduce yourself to them after the service today. If you're younger than 12, maybe you want to count. How many years will it be for you until you get to be 12 years old? You can think about that. And if you're older than 12, like me, think back to when you were 12 years old. What kinds of things do 12-year-olds think about? What are their relationships like with other people around them? With children who are younger, with people who are their same age, maybe with parents or guardians or grandparents, other people in their churches and their synagogues. When I was 12 years old, it was a really important year for me. My family had just moved to a new community. My father, who was a Mennonite pastor, had taken on a new church about an hour west of Philadelphia. And it meant that we had to move in the middle of my sixth grade year. That was a really hard thing for me to do. I had to leave my friends and go to a completely new town and a completely new school. But for me, it turned out to be a good thing. I actually liked my new place better than I liked my old one. And I met some really good friends. One of them is still my best friend who I met when I was other than my husband. Near the end of my 12th year, I made a decision to be baptized into my own church community. So for those of you who are older than 12, think about this. Did anything really important happen for you when you were 12? I think it's really significant that Jesus was told in this passage of scripture that we heard and saw acted out from Luke today. In the Jewish tradition, which is what Jesus was part of, age 12 for girls and for him the next year, age 13, was called the age of majority. It's a time when a young person is recognized by their community in the Jewish tradition as being responsible for following their religious laws. Now, in the believers' church tradition that we belong to, as part of Parkview, sometimes we have a similar idea. We call it the age of accountability. It marks a new time of understanding and awareness in the decisions that we make, in our moral decision making, in our faith, in our levels of responsibility in our faith community. The story of Jesus in the temple at age 12 gives us a little snapshot of what life was like for him as he was formed in intergenerational community. Now we've been talking a lot about faith formation this weekend and before. What do we mean by that term? Lucinda gave us a really great example. Some of you are holding Play-Doh in your hands. Here's another example of think about formation. What does it mean for something to be formed? What does it mean for us and for our faith to be formed? Formation is about how people around us, our life experiences, 
action of God's Spirit are shaping us and forming us as we grow. Like the slightest movement of the potter's fingers on this video, one small thing can impact us in a really big way. Lots of forces interact with our unique personalities and the genetics that we have to shape us into who we are. But ultimately, we're not quite like this piece of pottery, this vase that will be fired, or the Play-Doh that will dry out if you don't put it back in the container with the lid on really tight. We are always being born. We are always moldable. We continue to be shaped, including our faith. That's why faith formation is a process for our entire lives. It's not just something for children or 12-year-olds or for youth. The Gospel of Luke's story about this 12-year-old Jesus in the temple gives us a snapshot of how Jesus' faith was formed in an intergenerational community. So let's pay attention to the verses that start and that end this passage. Just a minute. These verses. We'll go back to that. I think I have something else for so the first is verse 40. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then the last verse that ends the passage that we read says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So there's kind of a parallel thing going on in these two verses. It's reinforcing these ideas about how Jesus was growing in strength, in wisdom and in favor in his intergenerational community. It is really amazing how children grow up. How do you go back? So I wanted to share this picture with their permission. When our family moved away from this community in Harrisburg to Princeton, New Jersey in 2013, Calvin was six and Eve was three. Juliet was a little baby. And they're really grown up now. So see if you can find Calvin and Eve. Eve is 12. Calvin is 16. They look a lot different than they did in this picture. They're both taller than me. They weren't in this picture from about 10 years ago. It's really amazing how people grow. How we grow in strength. How we increase in height and in weight under favorable environmental conditions. Children grow. I think the kind of growing that Jesus was doing wasn't only physical, when Luke tells us he was growing in strength. There's a Greek word that's used for strength in this passage. It's krateao. I can go over my slide to that one. This word is an interesting word because it only shows up three other places in the New Testament. So there's something special going on about it. And in all of those cases where it shows up, it's not talking about growing taller. It's talking about growing in spiritual strength. So here's another example that comes a little bit before the passage that we were reading about Jesus when he was 12. In Luke 1.80, it's talking about John the Baptist, his cousin. The child grew and became strong in spirit. Later, in the letter to the Corinthians, stand
courageous, be strong. And the letter to the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strength is something that is an internal and spiritual resource, as well as just talking about something visible, about growth. Jesus is growing in that kind of strength, too. And he shows it when he's 12 years old, when he sits among the temple teachers and he listens to them, and he asks them questions. The spiritual strength that Jesus shows can also be described as wisdom. And it's seen in the way Jesus asks questions and he responds. He sits among the teachers and they're amazed. You can do your amazed faces if you want to. They're amazed at his understanding and at his answers. These teachers are listening and engaging with Jesus in a reciprocal way. Their faith, too, is being born as they talk with this 12-year-old. There is mutual learning and growth that is happening. The teachers are amazed and learn from Jesus, and he learns from them. They are forming one another in this intergenerational Listening to questions and making them important is critical for growing faith in the adolescent years. There's a sociologist by the name of Tim Clydesdale who does research among early college students. And one thing that he has heard again and again and again from those college students is that they say, if they walked away from faith that they had when they were teenagers, it's because they had questions when they were 12, or 13, or 14 that were ignored. Ignoring these questions might look like dismissing them with pat answers that don't really get to the depth of their concerns. Or it could be outright saying, we don't talk about that in church. Ignoring those young people's questions is a direct link to why some young adults say, I'm not interested in connecting with the church. I loved yesterday in the Saturday morning exercise that we were doing, seeing some of the older ones among us, right? That asking questions and engaging doubts about faith is something that's a dream they have for faith formation. Part of the church. That's an incredible sign. That's part of why our family is here as part of this congregation. In Luke 2, we see Jesus sitting for three days with these temple teachers, exchanging questions and answers in a dynamic and ongoing The third way that this passage in Luke describes Jesus' growth is with the word favor. We might remember how Jesus was a baby and he found favor with Simeon and Anna who prophesied over him in the temple. The English word favor is a translation of the Greek word charis. Sometimes we hear this as a popular name. Charis is translated as grace many times. Here it's translated as favor. We might think, too, in Spanish translations of this Greek text, it's often translated as gracia. 
So we might say that Jesus grows in the grace or favor of God and of people around him. It is this sense that's captured at Jesus' baptism when a voice says, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. That's this charis that we're talking about. One really important way that Jesus received grace or favor is from his parents in the way that they raised him. There's this huge study on teen faith in the U.S. called the National Study of Youth and Religion, and it found overwhelming evidence that parents' faith is an important way to extend grace or favor toward young people. Parents' faith is the strongest indicator of their children's religiosity when they get to youth. And this is one way that Jesus received favor and grace. Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem. First, when he was little, for his presentation, first presentation um, as the firstborn male, and then annually for this Passover festival. These regular family pilgrimages to Jerusalem were customary for pious Jews, and this is a tradition that Jesus was part of and that he ministered in. This illustrates the religious devotion of his parents and how they formed him in this intergenerational religious community. Luke chapter 2 is actually an allusion to Hannah presenting Samuel in the temple in the Hebrew Bible. Mary brings her child to the temple as well. There's a sense that children belong in that space as part of their faith formation. How else would Jesus end up there for three days without his parents knowing where he was? Actually, historically, I should be more accurate. I should say that male children belonged in that temple space, okay? The reality is that girls and women were absent from these kind of conversations that were going on in the temple space that Jesus had access to because he was a male. That's a faith formation practice I want to leave in yesterday. Let me be clear. Jesus himself would go on to challenge the gendered nature of these theological conversations in these religious spaces as a God over. We can also understand Jesus' formation in what we know about his mother Mary's faith. As a devout Jew, Mary surely was teaching Jesus the Shema, the narrative of God's faithfulness that we read about in the Deuteronomy passage. Mary had a strong faith, a faith that asked questions. You might remember how when she was a teenager, maybe not many years older than 12, she questioned the angel who visited her. How can this be? Mary is deeply reflective about how God shows up in her life. And after she that incident of losing Jesus at the temple, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. It's similar to how she had pondered the angel's words when she was called favored one and told that she would have Jesus. She treasures in her heart the visit from the shepherds after Jesus is born. Mary is a favored one. Her son Jesus is a favored one as well. We might also think about Mary's song of Praise. This is known as the Magnificat from the previous chapter of Luke. Mary demonstrates a profound trust in God's promises. And she sees how God works from generation to generation 
and upends unjust systems of power. I think it's because of his mother Mary that when Jesus begins his adult ministry and reads from the prophet Isaiah, it kind of sounds like Mary's song that she has sung in Luke chapter 1. I think I have that up here on the slide. When Jesus reads, the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It is strikingly similar to Mary saying, the Lord has scattered the proud, filled the hungry with good things, lifted up the, lone, the lowly. The start of Jesus' preaching of his ministry, I think we can find in Mary's formation. There's an Episcopal priest, Robert Greer, who has reflected on this. He imagines Mary singing her song of praise as a lullaby over Jesus, forming him in his prophetic theology. This is what Jesus heard all through his growing up years. You can see his, the impact in his faith and ministry. So as Joseph and Mary raised Jesus in the communal rituals of the faith, he feels a sense of belonging and identity within his intergenerational faith. For him to have stayed behind at age 12 suggests that he felt at home in the temple among those other adults. It was so normative that his parents would walk for a day without realizing that their son wasn't with him, with them. And as they came back, everyone was watching out for one another. It suggests a profound sense of trust in the protection and care of the community. They look out for one another's children. Today, research among college students has found that contact from adults, not just those who serve within the congregation's youth ministry, is critical for forming strong faith. The Fuller Youth Institute, for instance, recommends five-to-one ratio, five attentive adults from across the congregation for every one young person in the congregation to support young people's growth in spiritual strength, in wisdom, the kind of wisdom that asks questions and explores answers together, and the favor of God and people, the grace of God. Now there's one more thing that I want to acknowledge before I close, and that's that even though Jesus had this favor or grace in his community when he was 12 years old, it didn't last. When Jesus returns to Nazareth as an adult and reads from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue, the people of his hometown try to drive him off a cliff. That's that same 12-year-old who they praised in the temple. I even wonder whether some of those same teachers in the temple in Jerusalem who were so amazed at this precocious 12-year-old had any role in his execution about 20 years later. When Jesus became a threat to their authority and to their teaching, it makes me ask the question, what happens when a theologically astute 12-year-old challenges the religious institution? What happens when a child who has grown in strength, in wisdom, and in favor brings insights to that community 
serious about forming faith in intergenerational community, it's a big risk. If we want to respond to individual needs and be relevant in current contexts, it means that some of our faith formation practices will have to change and we might be changed as well. There are enduring purposes, of course, that we mean as we think about faith formation. We want to instill love. We want to learn a deep knowledge of scripture together. We want to create spaces to listen to God's spirit. We retell the stories of God's faithfulness. We invite people to commit to Christ and to the church, but the church might be facing some change. I did a little bit of research two years ago where I interviewed youth in two Mennonite congregations about their sense of belonging and their relationships there. They told me that they have positive feelings about their congregations. They felt safe. They felt like they could ask questions. They felt like they could explore new ideas. But they also told me that they didn't really feel like many people saw them and really understood them. They weren't sure they could completely be themselves or that adults really wanted to know all they were thinking or that adults even really needed their contributions in order to go on being the church. A sense of mutuality and being seen is very for faith formation. It's important throughout our whole life long. And I think we need to adapt our practices so that people in every generation can be formed in faith and feel a sense of belonging and mutuality in the faith community. So let's keep dreaming together, our humanity church, about how we can grow as a dynamic community to form faith for all ages so we can grow together in strength, in wisdom, and in favor. I invite you to look in your bulletin for a confession and to join us. It's also on the screen. There's a part here that I will read as one voice. There's a part for all to read together. There's also a part for children and youth to read, and a part for just adults to read. Nurturing God. When Jesus was 12, he called you his father. We remember how Jesus felt at home when he was close to you and when he was with his religious community.
nurturing God, we know that you see and hear every one of us. Form our community as a home that reflects your care and attention so faith can flourish among everyone. 